What is it about when people use an animal as a symbol of a community? This is uh, the first of two videos that gives a totem perspective on a very old Nordic symbol, the raven, and particularly the raven flag. When we use contemporary anthropology, this very Nordic symbol, the raven, um, that can be seen uh, in a way that you totally wouldn't have expected. Uh, and which I think is much, much cooler than what, what we usually think about this symbol. Uh, my suggestion is seeing the Nordic raven motif as a totem, a symbol of a kind of community that implies kinship with another species, and thereby a kind of community that ties humans into nature. Uh, because when you read the Nordic raven symbolism from this perspective, then the result is a very different one from the more sort of common militant understanding of the symbol, where it's prim primarily a symbol of war, which uh, means something uh, along the lines of ha we're gonna kill you and the ravens will eat your rotting corpses. And like symbols have different meanings and many different voices in them. And that reading, the aggressive one, is not directly wrong. Uh, the raven standard might definitely have meant something like that when it was led by the heathen army that was ravaging around England in the 9th century. Um, the totemic reading, however, it goes to deeper layers of the raven symbol. And I think it suggests a more fundamental understanding of the raven symbol, which also, by the way, is not is just existentially much, much more relevant for us today than, you know, whatever hooligan types are coming up with today or even in the ninth century. Um, and importantly, uh, when we uh, look at this ancient flag in that way, you know, then, then we can discern these voices in the flag that we can today dialogue with, I think, in, in very compelling ways. Because um, what is the totem? A totem uh, does not primarily mean, for instance, a kind of personal animal patron spirit. I suspect that is what most like New Ages would probably uh, tend to think when they hear the word totem. But in, in fact, a totem is more than anything. It's a kind of community. Uh, the root of the word totem in, in the Native American Anishinaabeg language, totem, means clan. And uh, a totem is a community that uh, cuts across different species, um, for instance, tying humans together with specific animals. A totem is a kind of uh, human community that includes kinship with other beings around us, and therefore it ties us into bonds of responsibility with others in, in nature. And hang with me a little bit on this, because it's not just hippie talk. <laughs> uh, there's a bit of piece of um, analytical scholarship behind this, which I've actually been applying for uh, postdoc funding to, to set up. Uh, I generally believe that scholarship need to be uh, brought into play and made accessible and performed in a way that it can be brought into dialogue with contemporary culture. And that's what I'm trying to do with this uh, reflection on Raven totemism particularly in the coming video where I'm launching the contemporary Raven 
symbol which is based on this scholarship on the history of rejected totemic relations. Um, the raven uh, symbol is a part of, of, of actually a raven myth that you find all around the circumpolar northern hemisphere. Uh, you find it among Native Americans, Siberians, Chinese, Inuits, and, and probably many other peoples. Um, and you find it among several European peoples, not just Scandinavians, uh, but also uh, German, uh, French, English, prominently the English, and uh, possibly other European peoples that I uh, am less familiar with. Um, but here's the thing. When you uh, look at the Nordic raven motif in the Iron Age and in the Viking Age uh, archaeology, right, then you can very convincingly see this Nordic raven motif as part of this circumpolar raven totem that you find around the Northern Hemisphere in all these different cultures. And this can give us a new perspective on the raven standard, the raven banner, the raven flag, whatever you want to call it, that is a Viking uh, war banner standard, which is known from a number of chronicles and sagas that are talking about the Viking Age. Uh, and, and by the way, let me just say that this eco-totemic reading of the raven symbol is not just my idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic idea, though it might sound a little bit like that. Uh, uh, if you like reading scholarships, then I uh, suggest uh, reading an article by a couple of Oxford scholars, Thomas and Patricia, uh, Patricia Thornton. I'll put, put a link to the, uh, the article in, in the video text here. Uh, they have the idea that uh, that they're seeing the Anthropocene, our age, the age of humanity, as the raven scene. Because the raven trickster, as it figures, particularly in American First Nations mythologies, uh, raven can be seen as iconizing humanity. Raven as a symbol of humanity, both in its greed and in its lack of foresight, but also in the in the wisdom and the genius for change and creativity and adaptation, uh, qualities that are very necessary, uh, necessary for us in the situation now where we're entering into an age of transformation, um, we, we're going to need a kind, new kind of connection, connectedness with the world uh, if we are to survive the, uh, the Ragnarok of uh, environmental uh, biodiversity collapse, which is caused by the omnicide of our infantine consumerism. Right, and this connectedness is is very clearly signaled in the Nordic modality of the transarctic uh, or, or circumpolar raven myth. Um, but of course, this doesn't mean that I'm saying here that Vikings were eco hippies. You know, <laughs> of course not. They totally weren't. They lived in another age. But it means that if you read the raven flag as part of this transarctic raven myth, then it does talk about a kind of relation, a kind of kinship tie. Uh, and when we look at this, um, what this can tell us today, then it's meaningful to read this ancient flag today as a call to a less anthropocentric, anthropocentric kind of community. You know, a community that is based on this connectedness, these kinship ties to the natural world. And this connectedness is a characteristic totemic feature. And in normal um, human language. It means exactly what it looks like. It means connectedness. <laughs> so, uh, for instance, if you look at, at, at raven clans among uh, American First Nations, 
on the Pacific coast, then you find that uh, that they have this typically totemic idea that the humans in the in, in the Raven clan has an inner nature that's raven. But the raven also has an inner nature that is human, and that's in its capacity of ancestor. As an ancestor of the raven clan, the raven is a human. <laughs> and this is why you often see these mixings between human and totemic animal, which signals the tie between the human and the totem. So, for instance, they can be, they can be sort of folded into each other, and then you get this hybridity. Uh, for instance, you, you get a human face inside the raven. And exactly this motif, the hybrid of the human mixed into the bird, is a very prominent motif in the, in the Nordic uh, Iron Age and in the Viking Age. Right? And it's awful difficult to see exactly what kind of bird, uh, bird is, an, an image is showing, uh, because they're very stylized. But there are example, samples that it looks fairly clear that it must be corvids. Uh, and uh, in Old Norse, there isn't necessarily a very strong distinction between different kind of corvids, such as crow crows or ravens, right? And as any child knows, o the god Odin has two ravens called Hugin and Munin, um, and that means something like mind and memory or something like that. Note that it's human mental capacities. And this is a totemic aspect again. The inner nature of raven seems to be human. Um, and in the archaeology, we see this almost literally illustrated uh, in these uh, ravens or birds linked to human uh, heads or faces. Um, you see the human uh, face tied to the bird. Uh, you see it for spectacularly in, in these helmets that we know from the Vendel era in, uh, in places like England and Sweden. For instance, the Sutton Hu helmet, whose whole faces is composed by this flying bird. Um, and the, there's also so-called Bracteate medallions from the Iron Age, where you often see these birds with the beak turned towards the, the rider, almost as if it's talking to him, right? And the rider is often wearing this bird-like helmet or headgear or something like that. And perhaps there's even a bird coming out of his hair or something, it's a little bit weird. Um, these riders have been identified uh, as, or interpreted as, uh, as images of Odin, which is a, a kind of different discussion. There are also all these different kinds of Frankish and Germanic double bird images, uh, and there are loads of examples of, of bird masking and bird-human mixing in the archaeology of the late Iron Age and the Viking Age. Right? Now, particularly these bird fibulae from the late Iron Age, where you see human faces peer out of the the, the body of a corvid-like bird, probably ravens. They have different levels of stylization, uh, but it's exactly this clearly uh, totemic raven in the, the human mask inside the forms that has formed the, uh, the basis of uh, the, the new design of the, the raven flag. Uh, you also see this uh, connection of uh, human and bird in the so-called spear dancers uh, that are also from the the Iron and the Viking Age archaeology, and you often see these two like birds growing out of the human head like horns. Again, possibly this totemic association between the human mind and the bird somehow. Um, but why have, have, have so many people had this widespread, apparently, raven totemism? I think uh, the, the, the basic background for this is that ravens have certain human-like characteristics. They're famously intelligent birds. 
they tend to stay close to human settlements because they're scavengers. Um, they, uh, uh, they're eating leftovers, you know, they, uh, and in a sense they're sort of almost sharing human meals or also eating a kind of human meals. They can imitate human voices. They also like battlefields, so people saw them as, as bringing the dead to the other world. In the Nordic world, there may have been an association between ravens and uh, Valkyries. They are monogamous, uh, which might in many contexts, some contexts, at least associate to humanity, even though I'm not sure how monogamous humans really are. Uh, and, and anyway, ravens are in, in some senses human-like, uh, and therefore they, they si- signal humanity as uh, inherently tied to the natural world, right? If you want to express it in normal hippie language. Uh, you could also express this in anthropology-heavy ooga language, when then you could say that raven strongly signifies the anemic ontology where individual subjectivity is an ever-present element of uh, perception. Um, so the human face inside the raven express, expresses perspectivism, the idea of human subjectivity as inherent to point of view and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> in normal language, it just means that Raven is connectedness or kinship between humanity and nature. The world is filled with other uh, persons that aren't all humans, but require some sort of respect, as the the British scholar Graham Harvey is formulating the basic idea of animism. So, it is about animism fundamentally somehow. Um, this symbol here, the mask in the raven, perhaps it represents animism as such, you know, and, and maybe that's why uh, Ra- Raven is important for all, all the peoples who basically know Ravens. Um, and, and it seems that, 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 uh, that uh, all these different people that, that uh, um, know Ravens have sort of seen this animist you know, potential, particularly this animal. And this is why the Nordic Raven motif is part of this wider trans-ethnic, you know, uh, circumpolar Raven myth. Uh, that you find among all these different peoples. Typically, people have the idea that the raven is a trickster, an ancestor, a creator, and often associated with shamanism. And when we look at the Nordic god Odin, who is also called the raven god, then we see that he is exactly trickster, ancestor, creator, and shaman, right? So through Odin, the raven god, you could say that the Nordic raven motif is, has a remarkable similarity, for instance, with Siberian and North American raven myths. Um, for instance, um, uh, North Americans, uh, Native Americans, they have these raven clans. And this culture is uh, very p- prominent on the uh, Pacific West Coast. Uh, and as mentioned, there is this idea that uh, the members of the raven clan are ravens inside. Uh, and, and that also that almost mirrors the way that ravens have something human inside, and it's almost like an animus mystery. When these transformation masks they open, and they show the human face, and that's typically worn by a raven clan member, who is of course somehow a raven inside. So there is again the again this mirroring between the mask, which has a human inside the raven and the human dancer which has a raven inside a human right so the human and raven is sort of folded into each other like chinese boxes in this uh totemic perception of reality and and that is what is revealed or 
performed when the raven mask opens and shows the human nature of raven. Um, and in these uh, Iron Age fibulae from uh, Scandinavia, we see exactly this totemic uh, motif, the human inner nature of raven. So if you look at, at the uh, double masks that you also find, you, you, uh, you see exactly the same in uh, North European archaeology, that they're sometimes doubled. Uh, raven motif is often represented in pairs, and this is quite natural because in the natural world, you know, you often see ravens in pairs. Um, and but bottom line, when the raven god, Nordic raven god Odin, is an ancestor deity for a whole number of European groups—Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, English, and so on—I think there's also some connection to French dynasties, then the raven flag can be read in this way as a totemic mark of connectedness to raven, the creator and trickster. We are, in, in a sense, we can say that we are similar to the East American First Nations, the Tlingit, the Haida, the Chimchan, and so on, in the sense that, that, uh, that we are kind of raven clan, or perhaps some of us are raven clan. Uh, we have a totemic mark like the Haida mask, it signals the connectedness of a community that sees humanity as tied into, into nature. So when this raven mark was brought into war uh, in the Viking Age, then this is probably not only because ravens eat the slain and Odin is a god of war, so carrying his bird into the battlefield signals to the other warriors that oh, we're sending you all to Odin now. That is likely part of the message, yeah. But uh, the scholarship that I've seen has, I think, overlooked that raven is a totem. And that means that when people are carrying this mark into a war, then they probably also do this because they identify somehow with raven, right? Uh, uh, if the raven was their force in a sense, and, and that's an important part of, of uh, why they carried this mark, then that doesn't look like coincidence when these, pe when these are people who, who see the raven god as their ancestor, you know, and they're, they're carrying the, uh, the raven standard into battle. It looks like totemism. That's what it looks like. <laughs> uh, and of course, when people carry a totemic symbol uh, that somehow represents their, their uh, community uh, into a war, then this symbol is militant in that situation, of course. Uh, but... Uh, that is the same if you lead any symbol of any community into a war. It, if you take the French flag into a war, then it's militant in that situation. Uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't still symbolize a community of uh, people in a very specific way. The ideology of liberty, fraternity and equality, which is the motto of the French uh, Republic, and which is symbolized by those three colors, the, the tricolore, right? Now, uh, and, and wars are also where history recorded, is recorded. So uh, it's war situations where we see the, the, raven, uh, the raven flag uh, used, or the raven totem brought in, in this way. Now, the source material on the raven flag is a little bit thin. It's just so thin that it's a bit mysterious. And there are some who question if this flag has existed at all. But, you know, I mean, I suspect there are scholars in Norse religion who think their own arse is a literary construction. Uh, I mean, the raven flag has been described at battles in the uh, Viking Age at uh, Contesbury in 878, at Clontarf in uh, 1014, and in, at uh, Ashington in uh, 1016. And 
Uh, and then there are loads of descriptions of ravens as, as visions in connection with the battles and so on. There's a handful of sagas and chronicle, chronicles that report a quite consistent com complex of sort of war banner belief and practice, uh, which the, the raven banner is a part of. But it's also, it's also extend beyond the raven banner. Uh, for instance, uh, the Norwegian king Harold the Hard Ruler, he led a banner to England, uh, and that banner might ha have been a raven, uh, because it has a similar name, it's called Land Eithan, uh, which in other sources is associated with a raven, uh, but this is not explicit in that source. Uh, but uh, the banner has a similar power to what is described with the raven banner myths. There's also another uh, story, which is a, a kind of a myth about how the Danish national flag, the Danipo, appeared. It fell from the sky during a battle and possessed or signaled the supernatural force that turned the battle in favor of the Danes. Um, and this is a myth about the, the Danish flag, and it's part of this overall medieval complex about what this kind of powerful war banners do. Uh, there are some who see, by the way, the raven flag as the original Danish flag, which is a quite bold statement for a number of reasons. For instance, uh, these banners were not nationalist in, in, in that way, but they're totemic, attached to specific kinship groups. It's a very different thing somehow. Uh, and also ravens, raven banners uh, have been led by Vikings that weren't Danes. Uh, so, um, yeah. But still, it's worth noting that the uh, the Danipal fell from the sky in a battle at this uh, crusade against the heathen Estonians, and it brought victory to King Valdemar the Conqueror. Now his father was Valdemar the Great, and he had his decisive battle at Grate Heath against Knut, another contester for the throne. And uh, and this battle was totally charged with exactly this kind of raven symbolism that we know from the Viking Age battles. Uh, like Clontarf and so on. The sources don't mention any raven banner uh, at Carter Heath, but the, but the ravens signal the victory in supernatural ways, comparable to uh, the flag in his uh, son's battle, the, the Danish flag that is still used. There were ravens showing him, showing him where to put, uh, place his army. They came down and flew so low over his warriors that they could touch them with their spears. And, and this happened just one generation before the Christian crusader flag came down uh, similarly and heralded and brought the victory to his son, uh, Valdemar the Conqueror, right? So it's tempting to see this kind of something going on around the Danish flag, you know, the, uh, uh, which is, by the way, a very old national symbol. Uh, perhaps there's some level where there is a domestication of the totemic raven symbolism going on somewhere around that. Um, the white cross represents uh, a, a very different uh, a very different worldview, in a sense. It re represents a promise or a longing towards transcendent otherworldly salvation. And this transcendent expectations uh, then comes and replaces the raven trickster, which with its sort of tight entanglement, connection, tie between human and the totemic animal, perhaps between human and world, perhaps between human and reality, perhaps between human and nature.
But of course, this, uh, this, this is not like a, a literal replacement. It's not somebody wasn't like sewing the white crotch on top of the raven banner, of course. Uh, the raven totem um, was uh, associated with the royal dynasty. It was a symbol of community. Uh, and uh, part of this uh, same kind of idea about these medieval powerful banners uh, that would then later produce the the uh, the Christian uh, the Christian Danish flag, and, but and when when, when Christianity uh, came uh, became consolidated, little by little it became obsolete and uh, at some point rejected, and other symbols of community emerged. Um, but importantly, the 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 kind of community that's signaled by this very ancient symbol, raven totem, is a very different one from the, the kind of us that we usually uh, think, think of today. It's not a nationalist kind of symbol. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and that's why I think it's, it's relevant for us today, this ancient, ancient symbol. You know? And also, like different groups have, have uh, used it in Northern Europe. There were Norwegians or Cadians who used it at Clontarf. Uh, and, and these were people for whom ethnicity in this national sense wasn't as important as it is for us, I think. They, they were much more like clans and kinship lines that augmented their power by intermarrying and liaising in different ways. In a sense, they were quite trans-ethnic people. And these kinds of totems, they are not all that ethno-specific. Like, if, if you look at the raven totem in North America, then you see that it's a pretty trans-ethnic thing. You see, see raven totemism in very different ethnic groups uh, who are somehow attached to the symbol, perhaps in different ways. Um, you see Inuits and you see different Northwest Coast Pacific First Nations uh, all having this raven mythology. Um, there are raven myths in Hellenic culture, there are raven myths in Celtic culture. In Cornwall they believe that King Arthur lived, lived on in the form of a raven. It's a remarkably uh, totemic motif. Um, there's even a uh, uh, also remarkable raven mythology in the Bible, um, we, and, and this is surprisingly consistent with some of the meanings that I'm talking about here. It's a little bit weird. In, in the narrative of Noah's Ark, Noah sends out the raven, and as it flies back and forth, the dry land emerges. This totally resembles the Native American myth of the raven as, as a creator. This is so conspicuously Haida. You know that, uh, and and some have actually speculated that perhaps uh, the Native Americans got part of their raven mythologies uh, from the Bible, uh, which I don't really believe at all. In the Western culture, there's often been this tendency that people want to impose it on on, on everybody else and cast Western culture as the origin of everything. Uh, and I mean, come on, I mean raven. American Raven mythology is very much its own thing, and so rich in its own. Uh, um, but it's, when you look at the, the the biblical Raven myth, it's still tempting to just say, "Wow, is there a Raven myth in the in the Bible in the Bible?" And, and even one that you know, when we dialogue with it today, we could see perhaps it has a relation to Raven leading the way out of environmental cataclysm, the Great Flood. And that you know, that wasn't a possible contemporary. Uh, dialoguing with this myth. Um, perhaps this raven myth was there. At some point it was pressed in the background or, you know, it's difficult to say. The Bible is really a kind of a patchwork of different mythologies that are speaking to, uh, to each other and sometimes against each other, actually. Well, the main role of Christianity, however, in Northern Europe has primarily been 
to, to function as rejection of raven mythologies. Uh, sometimes the raven mythology persists. In the Varen era, in um, area in Sweden, people just keep calling ravens Odensfoglar, and they keep taboos around them and stuff like that. In Norway, people would take omens of ravens when they would come and eat specific meals that had been prepared from them when you had slaughtered an animal, like a very clear sacrificial culture connected to slaughtering. In, uh, in Denmark, the totemic idea stays live, but in very demonized forms. Uh, there are a lot of these transformation myths of ravens that are really humans inside and so on. But uh, when you go through history, this becomes a curse. The uh, Velraun, the death raven, is a cursed being. It's almost as if people are trying to sort of exercise this, uh, exorcise this connectedness with, with the world, which is expressed by this ancient totemic idea that raven has something human inside. Um, sometimes you also see raven uh, in a more positive and more trickster-like role. There's a, an amazing uh, Danish uh, ballad which is called Raven Leads Runes and it talks about how a woman who's longing for her knight, she sends uh, a raven with runes to turn the wind on his ship uh, and bring him back to her. Right? And it's, it's one way of, of reading this, perhaps a metaphoric or symbolic way of reading it, could be to see the woman as, a, as, as an image of humanity who is in, calling that which is across the water, which would be the other world, the, the god, perhaps her knight. Uh, and she calls, she calls him with runes, and the raven is a trickster that transports the uh, invocation to the other world to call the spirit or god. Um, and that is a very trickster-like role, comparable to what you see in trickster figures in, in different, um, different cultures. But the dominating image is that ravens are the messengers of the devil. Uh, they bring the dead souls to hell and they live in gallows hills and they're super scary and they're omens of bad luck and they're called take this, the apostle of Satan. Uh, and this goes actually all the way back to the encounter with Christianity, where there's a number of uh, visionary narratives that um, narrate, narrate how the heathen raven is magically transformed into a Christian dove. And that is an image of the conversion of heathens. Um, and this transformation into a dove is definitely a kind of uh, symbolic domestication. So the raven totem is subjected to this domestication and demonization. And, and perhaps we can compare this to uh, something we actually see happening in uh, Chinese uh, raven mythology. Uh, because in China, in the Bronze Age, uh, the Zhou dynasty replaced the Shang culture, uh, which had uh, one of these typical raven totemisms. And when the Zhou dynasty took over, they then narrated the raven tales of the Shang culture in ways that domesticated the ravens. And they uh, proceeded to like, explode population and intensify farming. And, blah, blah, blah. and uh, according to these uh, scholars that I mentioned in the beginning, Thornton and Thornton, the Zhou dynasty controls and cancels the trickster aspect of raven. And thereby they, they contribute, according to Thornton Thornton, they contribute to a general movement in Chinese history away from uh, Taoism, which is this <laughs> super sympathetic, organic, 
dynamic thinking about transformation as the harmonious way of the world uh, towards uh, Confucianism, which is this totally patriarchalist, conservative theory of social compliance. Uh, and according to Thornton and Thornton, they, they, they even see the culmination in this movement in Mao Zedong, who was a, a socialist and uh, thereby an ultra-modernist, uh, who literally uh, declared war on nature. I mean, you can't make this up, this, you know, stuff up. Like, we, the great night Chinese people, are war with nature itself. La, da, la, 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 la. <laughs> but uh, the point is that, that uh, we could see also our own history in relation to the raven motif as a history of rejection, demonization, domestication of this raven totem. Uh, a totem that connects us to the world, but which is being in demonized intensively, right? In Denmark, it's being replaced with this uh, white cross on the crusader flag, right? But if you read the earlier raven symbol from a contemporary research perspective, then it makes sense to see the raven totem as signifying a community of the descendants of raven, a community based on this trickster totem um, of kinship, totemic kinship ties, basically. Uh, and that's uh, what I will be uh, talking about in the next video, where we're taking back the contemporary raven flag, a symbol of a kind of kinship that will, uh, a kind of kinship with nature that will empower us to face the uh, eco-Ragnarok of the uh, contemporary world. Thanks for listening.